Welcome to episode 31 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Ross Hodges, and I'm here with uh, my colleagues, uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams and Reverend Dr. John Payne. Today we want to discuss the topic of fencing the table. And if that sounds strange to you, then you're probably uh, normal, because it's not language <laughs> that we speak of very much. Well, at Christ Church, we have the Lord's Supper every week, and we alternate morning and evening. And before the Lord's Supper uh, every week, we, uh, whichever pastor is administering the sacrament, um, takes a moment to explain, uh, apply uh, the, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and also to to give warning and to tell um, who should and should not be partaking. And we call that fencing the table. And uh, John, you have been uh, in the ministry for a number of years now, and you get questions questions on this topic really all the time. What are, what are the nature of those questions, and, and what are people wanting to know? Yes, the questions come regularly. And... Um in personal discussions, in uh, membership classes, uh, through emails, it's very interesting that uh, that this topic comes up so regularly. And I think part of it is that uh, people are not used to any kind of exclusivity in the church today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there is such a desire, and a good desire, to want to be warm and welcoming to visitors. And the, the service is warm and welcoming until you come to the Lord's table, mm -hmm. where if, it, if, it's, if, it's being, if it's being properly, uh, then there are certain admonitions and warnings that are given uh, at the table. And is this just something we, uh, that some crusty old Presbyterian came up with back in the 16th century? <laughs> Probably, no. <laughs> um, well, the answer is, is no, no. That, that historically, uh, in all of the, the liturgies and in, in every in every denomination, uh, there <clears throat> has been this uh, this emphasis upon exhortation and, and admonitions at the Lord's table. Uh, why is that? Well, it comes from Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, made it made it clear uh, in chapter eleven of First Corinthians. He writes, beginning in verse twenty three, about the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, if you eat this bread and drink the cup, rather, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now here's where the warnings come. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Mm. So, uh, reading that, even without giving any explanation, it's pretty clear that if you are a Christian and you believe the Bible to be the Word of God, then you recognize here that there is a negative aspect yep. mm -hmm. to 
what needs to be clearly communicated at the Lord's table. Yes. It's not all positive, actually. There is a negative emphasis here that those who drink in an unworthy manner will drink judgment upon themselves. So the question is, who is it that is meant to give oversight to the Lord's table and to make clear these truths so that people will not unwittingly come to the table and eat and drink judgment upon themselves? Yes. Well, it's the pastors. It's the elders. It's those who have oversight of, of the church. And so what is being encouraged here? Uh, what is being encouraged is that a person not partake in an unworthy manner. Now, uh, uh, Ross, this doesn't mean that a person is worthy in and of themselves to oh, no. come to the test. That's not what this is saying. What does it no. mean when it says you should partake in a worthy manner as connected to this text? Well, a worthy manner is those who are, have union with Christ and, and who are walking um, not in unrepentant sin and that sort of thing. We are made worthy to come to the Lord's table by the Lord Jesus himself, by, by his blood and righteousness. He, he gives us a seat at his table, as it were, so that we might eat and, and feast upon um, his merits. Yeah, so it's not just about having a good week? No, it's, no, no, exactly. No, the, we, the people who need to be at the table are the people who have had a bad week, in, in a sense, because it's, it's at the table that we're feeding on um, the, the, the riches of Christ and, and our faith and hope and love are being strengthened. Um, worthily partaking has nothing to do, in one sense, whether I've had a good week or a bad week and that sort of thing. It has to do whether or not I'm, I'm holding to Christ by faith and walking in faith and repentance. How about this language, discerning the body and blood of the Lord? What That maybe sounds strange to uh, you know, somewhat modern ears. Right, right. right. We, could, we could paraphrase that in, in saying, um, understands what you're doing. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you understand the sacrament. You understand the gravity of what's happening the here. Gospel, yeah. You understand the gospel. Exactly. Exactly. You're not taking this flippantly and lightly. And how about this examination of oneself, Gabe? Why... Mm -hmm. why why are, are those communicants encouraged to examine themselves before they come to the table? Well, this is actually, to me, interesting because there is a balance with this. So there are some who may basically not examine themselves to think, well, uh, this is kind of a ritual that we do in the church, and I'll just take it, and I'm kind of obligated to do it. In that sense, the warning is to that person that realize that when you are taking the Lord's Supper, the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians talks about communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to take the actual bread and wine and not to examine yourself is basically saying, I can have fellowship, communion with the Lord, and it has no bearing on myself whatsoever. So in one sense, the examination is realizing kind of what Ross said, that what is actually being communicated here it is the gospel and then what is actually going on spiritually is a real vital spiritual fellowship with the risen lord jesus then there's the overly sensitive side in which you look at yourself and you see the uh, how sinful you are and you say that any sin would disqualify you from the supper mm -hmm. and in that sense i would say the if that tender is conscience. Yeah, tender conscience if okay. that is your uh, if that's kind of where your position is, I think verse 28 is really important. A man must must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat. So after the examination, yes. it's not meant to be, uh, for the repentant Christian, it's not meant to be something that excludes you from doing it. Yes. It's saying, examine yourself, and then commune with 
God. Yes, and I would add that discerning the body and blood of the Lord mm-hmm. properly means that you recognize that Christ was nailed to a wooden cross for your sins. For you, yeah. For you. And so uh, to properly discern the body and blood of the Lord, you recognize that the body was broken for you, that the blood was poured out for you. And I think as, as ministers, we need to clearly communicate that to yes. our people so that they're not thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm so terrible and I recognize that, but and so I, therefore, I'm not, I'm not worthy to come to the table. Right. No. Uh, Christ came and died that we would be invited to the table mm-hmm. and to and to commune with him. And so these are all very important distinctions. Now, let's talk for a minute about um, these warnings. Uh, every time Ross and I administer the table, we give clear warnings. We say uh, things like, um, uh, if you are uh, not a Bible-believing uh, Christian, uh, born again, if, if you are not baptized, baptized if you uh, are not a member in good standing, in good standing, in good standing of, of a Bible-believing church, yeah. Uh, why, why do we say these things? Because I've had the question that somehow it must be wrong if we are being exclusive in any way. But the real question is, is the gospel exclusive? Is the yes. Christian faith exclusive? Is church membership exclusive? Yes. And so let's let's talk yes. about the connections with those things. Gabe, what are your thoughts about that? Well, my most immediate thoughts is let's talk about kind of this goes back to the what it means to be a worthy participant. So instead of looking at that positively, let's just examine what that means negatively. What would be the obvious signs that you are not a worthy participant in supper? So the first would be obviously that you are living in a scandalous, unrepentant sort of sin. And that's somewhat the context of 1 Corinthians, in which you had members who were uh, gluttonous kind of people at the supper. Obviously, that's a scandalous sin in which if that was brought to the light of the rest of the unbelieving world, it brings you reproach upon Christ. So obviously, that is one obvious sign. Mm. When you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus speaks about uh, how relationships within the church should work, anyone who harbors uh, bitterness or grudge against their brothers are showing themselves not to be in kind of united with Christ. But that's yeah. another very important kind of disqualifying mark. And what uh, a contradiction that is to come to the table of forgiveness, mm-hmm. to receive the forgiveness of Christ, and to not forgive your brother or your sister. And how to and another contradiction is that to say you're doing communion says that you are in wonderful active fellowship with your brothers. So what contradiction yes. would it be to say that I'm in fellowship with my brother, but I refuse to forgive him for something he did this past week and that, or for a while? And that reinforces that communion is not just uh, vertical; mm-hmm. it is also horizontal. Oh, no. Amen. It's not just we close our eyes and we have our little bubble in the pew and we're having communion with Christ. Mm-hmm. Communion is also communion with one another, and that's highly connected to why we uh, give this kind of warning and admonition at the table as well, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Then it's the other more broad statement, and this is probably something a little, no, not quite controversial, but more common, in which the warning is given that you should be a local, a member of some local church in good standing that's Bible believing. And the primary reason for this goes back to the metaphors of what the actual member is to the body. So when we look at 1 Corinthians, it speaks about members 
being joined to one another as parts of a body, so connecting the hand to the foot, etc. But it speaks about members being joined together, and Christ himself is the head of that body. Yes, can I just read that? It's, sure. just, it's, it's the following chapter. First <laughs> Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should, not, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Amen. And, it, and that's what's being reinforced mm. in the Lord's Supper, isn't it? That we are one, one body. body. We yes. all partake, in 1 Corinthians 10 it says, of one loaf. Yes. Right? Amen. Amen. And then this is just the logical implications of this. If you are a person who refuses to join a local church, you are doing two things. One, you're refusing to be connected to the members. Mm -hmm. But in refusing to be connected to the members, it also means you're refusing to be connected to the head. And that's the seriousness of what's yes. being stated about what does it mean for a Christian to refuse membership and still want to partake of the supper. You are contradicting yourself. And doesn't doesn't the New Testament assume that you will be a member of a church? Yes. I mean, some people say, where's the golden verse which says you must become a member of a church? Everywhere, the New Testament assumes... <laughs> it's a basic assumption of the right. It's a yeah. basic assumption. I mean, these metaphors that are used, uh, you know, being a, 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 a part of the household of God mm -hmm. or... A soldier in God's army or a, a member of the body of Christ mm -hmm. and these these things make it very clear that you are intimately and 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 devotedly connected to a local church obey your leaders in the Lord for this mm -hmm. is right Hebrews yes. 13 First and Second Timothy and Titus, they clearly communicate that there are elders and deacons who are to be overseers in the life of the church, to be shepherds and to care for and to, and to pray for and to encourage and to, and to administer the means of grace to the flock. Mm. And so it is an absolute nonsense mm -hmm. for someone to say, I can be a Christian and yet not be an active member in a local church. Now, someone brings up, what about the guy in the jungle, you know, that has no <laughs> church nearby? Now, you know, you hear that, it's like, okay. You're not the guy in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's all roll our eyes here for a minute and say, okay, don't bring up the absurd kind of outlandish, you know, example. Let's just know that if you refuse to be a, a committed member of a, of a, of a, a Bible-believing church, you are refusing so much of what the Bible is commanding you mm -hmm. uh, to do. There's just no way around that. And if you're in a church now that you're struggling with, go, go find one that is, is faithful. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, our Westminster Confession says that uh, in chapter 25, it takes this so seriously. It says the visible church, which is also... Uh, universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion, and of their children, 
and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Yes. Now, Ross, why, why would this be in the Westminster Confession? That almost sounds Roman Catholic to say that outside of the visible church there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Well, that's connected to actually what we discussed in our last podcast on Revelation, uh, that God gives his special revelation in his scriptures, and he has given his scriptures to the church. And it is through the church, ordinarily, that the, uh, the, the message of the gospel is communicated and where the keys of the kingdom are held um, so that uh, if you're going to hear the gospel, if you're going to believe the gospel, um, ordinarily that happens through the, the means of the church. Well, what about in the internet age? Some people say, well, you know, I got, I've got sermons on the internet, I've got my Bible at home, I've got all kinds of commentaries. I don't, I don't need the church. What, what do you say to that person? Well, you say to that person that, that the Bible disagrees with you. And again, there's that assumption we were talking about just a moment ago. First uh, Corinthians 12, Romans 12, um, all over the New Testament, really all over the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, God has always had his people in a community. And uh, they that is intended, uh, that, that he has created us to need one another um, with Christ as our head, and Christ as the head of the church, and he works through the church. And so... Um, you, you know, you can, you, you're really, if you're doing the thing where you're in your, you know, your, your house with the internet sermons and all that, and you're refusing to be plugged into a local body, you, you are an outsider looking in through the window and you just don't realize it. Is there accountability through internet pastors? <laughs> Absolutely <Usually> not. not. <laughs> you know, part of this, part of the problem with that approach is it, it leaves one autonomous. Yes. Uh, there's no oversight. There's no one asking them how their walk with the Lord is. Mm -hmm. There's no one administering to them the means of grace, exactly. the sacraments. They better not be. Uh, right. <laughs> you better not yeah, be taking yeah, it yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So, and we could go on. The list goes on about why it's irresponsible and, quite frankly, unchristian mm -hmm. to not be uh, vitally connected to and a member of, of a local well, church. And that's Paul's point, really, uh, when he's going through those lists in First Corinthians. 12 and um, and Romans 12 part of what he's saying there is that one part of the body can't say to the other I don't need you you know the eye can't say it can't say to the foot I have no need of you or, or I'm better than you sort of thing to paraphrase and what you're doing when you pull yourself out of a local assembly or you refuse to join one is you're saying I don't need you I am autonomous we have been discussing here the uh, fencing of the table uh, which is a Kind of a traditional way of saying bringing warnings and uh, admonitions at the table so that people wouldn't come unwittingly uh, partaking in an unworthy manner and drinking uh, and eating judgment upon themselves uh, we've not uh, unpacked all of that but uh, wanted to to clearly communicate that uh, this uh, way that we administer the table is not something that simply comes out of uh, some old Presbyterian book somewhere. Uh, it's very much scriptural and rooted in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12, and elsewhere. And uh, one thing, too, we would like to end with is that the table is not uh, a negative thing. Uh, in fact, it was Spurgeon, I think, who said, uh, as you give one look of examination to yourself, give 10,000 looks to Christ. Uh, the Lord's table is not meant to be a negative thing where we simply uh, are focused on our own sin. No, the main focus 
the one who has the spotlight on him is the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and the love of God the Father and the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we come and we reflect upon and we meditate upon and we rejoice in and we put our faith in uh, the, the, cruci- the, the death, uh, the propitiatory, atoning, sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that it accomplished for us, forgiveness, mercy, righteousness, uh, adoption, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Christ accomplished this for us on Calvary and in the empty tomb. And so that is what we proclaim uh, at the table is Christ. And we come as broken uh, sinners, as weary pilgrims who need to be refreshed in the Lord and to be reminded that uh, despite all of our sin, we are loved and kept by God in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so let us come to the table, brothers, with that in mind. And we thank you once again for listening to Between the Times.